turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. The Durham Report reveals the FBI's wrongdoing in the Trump-Russia probe. The intelligence and law enforcement apparatus of the government was put in the service of the the politics of one party. A Border Patrol chief delivers a report on the first weekend after Title 42 ends. One of the reasons why the numbers weren't sustained at 10,000 a day is because of Texas. Consumer debt eclipses $17 trillion for the first time. You're still becoming poorer, right? Your wages are still going up less than inflation. This is the Daybreak Insider Podcast. Your first look at today's top stories for Tuesday, May 16th. I'm Mike Scott. After four long years, Special Counsel John Durham has finally revealed the results of his years-long investigation. Back in 2019, Durham was tapped by former Attorney General Bill Barr to get to the bottom of why the FBI launched a probe into the Trump 2016 campaign and Trump administration for Russian collusion. Now, Durham has released a 306-page report of his findings. The long-awaited Durham report, four years later, has finally been released. Special Counsel John Durham found that the Department of Justice and the FBI, quote, failed to uphold their mission and never should have launched the Trump-Russia investigation. The report shows that the FBI didn't have the evidence to launch the investigation into Donald Trump and the intelligence they received from sources was never vetted or corroborated. In fact, the report suggests the FBI knew there was nothing to the idea that the Trump campaign colluded with Russia. Reporter Mike Vicaria breaks down what is known of the report so far. That investigation called Crossfire Hurricane. Remember, that's the investigation that the FBI launched into the Trump campaign and purported supposed collusion between the Trump campaign and Russia in the 2016 election. Obviously, we have known for some years that that collusion has never been proven. The Mueller report uh, pointed that out to us. And an internal uh, inspector general report, the Department of Justice has also criticized the way the FBI launched this investigation. But this is John Durham now. The special prosecutor, remember he was a U.S. attorney in the state of Connecticut appointed to look into the FBI's handling of this in the aftermath of the Mueller report after it all, after the allegations against the Trump campaign had largely fallen apart. And he does have some withering scorn for the FBI. He says the FBI never should have launched the probe and the FBI's used, quote, raw, unanalyzed and uncorroborated intelligence to launch Crossfire Hurricane. Vicaria also points out that the report shows that the FBI agents investigating Donald Trump listened to people who had 
political bias. Uh, he also says that FBI uh, personnel used a serious lack of analytical rigor towards the information that they reviewed, and they listened to information for people from people with political bias and entities with political bias. And of course, it was Christopher Steele, uh, the very shady British uh, in, individual uh, who had connections to the FBI and American law enforcement here in the United States, uh, who was the source of that so-called Steele dossier uh, that had been, uh, has been debunked over the course uh, since the 2016 election in 2017, just before the Trump inauguration when it first served. Andy McCarthy is a former longtime federal prosecutor with the office in New York City and explains what he has learned from the Durham report. But what Durham is concluding, it, mainly the target of the investigation, it appears on the basis of what we've been able to see so far is the FBI in particular, which ran the crossfire hurricane investigation. That was the code name that they had for this. What he's saying is that they lacked fidelity to the strict obligations of law enforcement, that they basically took information uh, that was politically motivated from obviously politically motivated sources. It's clear he's talking there about the Clinton campaign, that they didn't vet it. They didn't corroborate it. They went to the FISA court and swore to it under oath. And even after uh, it emerged over time, that the information that they had presented to the court was not accurate. They not only didn't go back to the court and correct it, they doubled down and continued to get new surveillance warrants. The former leading federal prosecutor is disturbed by many things in the report, but he shares the one thing that he finds most upsetting. It's very interesting how this affected our electoral politics, but the thing that's always bothered me the most about this is that... um, National security is the one area of of the government where they have to be able to look you in the eye and say you can trust us to wield these awesome powers, because if you can't maintain secrecy, then you really can't protect the country. We don't give the FBI these powers because we think the FBI are great guys. We give them the powers because we need the country protected. And there are bad actors all over the world that are looking to harm Americans and American interests. And what I've always worried about is that if we get to the point, and what you've just summarized uh, indicates, uh, I I think, wisely that we may be getting to that point, Uh, if we get to the point where we say we can't trust these guys, then what's going to happen is those powers are going to be, if not completely eliminated, they're going to be attrited or reduced. And that's not going to make the country safe. McCarthy feels that the FBI's investigation into Donald Trump for political reasons is a massive scandal. The scandalous thing here is that I think we now know, and the history of this that will be written, is that the intelligence and law enforcement apparatus of the government was put in the service of the politics of one party in connection not only with an election, but when that failed, uh, it was sustained for another two years in order to hamstring a sitting United States president. Uh, who, no matter what you think of him, was the elected president that uh, that needed to govern the United States. And they did this for partisan reasons. The FBI responded by claiming that it has already implemented corrective actions to prevent such an abuse from happening ever again. A U.S. citizen has been sentenced in China to life in prison on spying charges. Our Daybreak Insider Jennifer King has more on this developing story. 
John Xingwen Leong is a 78-year-old who holds U.S. citizenship and permanent residency in Hong Kong. He was detained in 2021 by Chinese counterintelligence in Suzhou, according to a statement posted by the city's intermediate court on its social media site. His detention came after China had closed its borders and imposed tight domestic travel restrictions to fight the spread of COVID-19. On Monday, the court announced Leong had been sentenced to life in prison. Details of the charges have not been publicly released. Proceedings are usually held behind closed doors. The U.S. Embassy says it's aware of the case but would not comment due to privacy concerns. I'm Jennifer King. The first weekend in the U.S. without Title 42 has passed. And the U.S. Border Patrol Chief Raul Ortiz has disclosed what results he has seen on the ground at the southern border. Ortiz took to Twitter and reports that in the 72 hours, three agents had been assaulted, 14,750 people apprehended, and there have been 4,316 gotaways. So the number of migrants crossing the border has surprisingly fallen in the past few days since the end of Title 42, but that still barely puts a dent in the number of migrants entering the country illegally since October. That number up sharply overall. The Border Patrol basically dumping migrants into border towns such as Yuma, Arizona, relying on local and state governments to handle the problem. Reports suggest that while the overall numbers of migrants crossing the border has decreased in the days after the lifting of Title 42, officials are cautioning it's still way too early to draw any conclusions on what that means for potential migrant surges, as they assert a decline in crossings doesn't alleviate the stress that many border towns are still facing. Mark Morgan is the former acting commissioner of the Border Patrol and joined the Salem Radio Network, saying regardless of what the mainstream media says, there is a crisis at the southern border. I, I'm literally begging them, begging them to put aside their ideology, put aside their politics just for a moment. I know it's hard to do. I promise you the inhumanity that I saw that's happening on our border is real. The death and destruction is real. The risk to our nation's safety and national security is real. The Americans that are dying and the migrants that are dying and suffering it's real. Secretary Marcus is lying. This administration is lying to you, saying the border's secure, that they're managing it, that there's nothing to see here. It's all a big lie. And, and, and it's all because of this administration's policies and the message they sent to the entire world. And I just got to say, one is enough and is enough. How many more Americans have to die? How many more migrants have to die and suffer before this country comes together and says, hey, this is ridiculous. We need to secure the border. Morgan explains why he believes that officials are seeing a decrease of illegal migrants after the lifting of Title 42. Most of the time, Secretary America's lies, but that is, is typical D.C. spin. What he's not being honest about, I learned a long time ago in law school, that the, the intentional omission of a material fact is the same thing as a lie. So what he's telling you is, is that the, the numbers went down. We saw an incredible spike after Title 42 or leading up to it, and then the numbers leveled off. First of all, there's still like five or 6,000 a day, which is a, still a catastrophic numbers. He doesn't say that. Two other things he doesn't say, that one of the reasons why the numbers didn't, weren't sustained at 10,000 a day we, is because of Texas. 
because of their reinstituted of, of, of a decades-long border patrol operation called you know, Hold the Line. They were actually holding the line, preventing those individuals from illegal alienating and redirect them to a port of entry, number one. Number two, Secretary Marcus, what he's omitting, what he doesn't tell is they simply shifted the burden from in between the ports of entry to the ports of entry. NGOs were embedded in Mexico, embedded in these camps, saying, here, here, here. Fill out the CBP-1 app. Just get online. You do that where you're going to be able to walk up to a lawful point of entry, still file what we know is a fraudulent claim, and guess what? DHS is going to process and release you. That's what's going on. Many critics say that the immigration process is completely broken, and the former acting commissioner explains why he agrees with them. This administration knows what they're doing. They know that when, when they're encouraging someone now, whether it's to go illegally or use a CBP-1 after a port of entry, it, it's, a, it's a violation. It's a perversion of the law. They're simply playing a shell game because at the end of the day, the same thing happens. doesn't matter whether you illegal enter or come to a port of entry. You're going to be processed and released and never to be heard from again. Right now, there's over a million cases that are backlogged. It, it, it's going to take years. I guarantee the people in and right now, 2023, no. I, I I think it's going to be way past that before they ever get a hearing. And, of course, guess what? They're not going to show up. By then, they're embedded in the communities. They got married, had a couple of kids, and now Republicans or Democrats don't have the, the, the political will to actually enforce the law. Morgan lays out stark statistics involving the number of gotaways at the southern border. 26 months, 1.7 million total gotaways. 1.7 million. So, so think about it. We literally could have the next sleeper cell in the United States planning the next large-scale terrorist attack. We would have no idea. Who knows how many criminals, murderers, rapists, pedophiles, gang members are among the 1.7 million? We don't know in addition to the drugs. And so, look, we always talk about this, and we try to get this in every time we talk. I really appreciate it. But let's not forget the migrants. Right. This administration, 350,000 plus unaccompanied minors in 26 months. Guess what? They've lost track of 85,000 of them. This administration doesn't even know where 85,000 illegal alien minors that they enticed to come to the United States are. But guess what? We know where a lot of them are. They're now being trafficked. They're in slaughterhouses, cleaning up entrails. They're, they're, they're thrust in the life of, of, of sex and, and other degrees of labor trafficking. We know that many of them are raped and sexually assaulted on the journey. We could go on and on. 15, 16 of them have died on, on a Mexico-U.S. border trying to cross. Where's the humanity there? Meanwhile, the U.S. is in litigation about whether it can release migrants without what's called a notice to appear. A notice to appear is when a migrant is processed and is given a court date and some type of monitoring. However, it can take hours for agents to process one single illegal migrant, and Border Patrol right now is at capacity. On Thursday alone, more than 6,000 illegal migrants were released without a court date. There has been an outpouring of support for a young man who faces charges for what he says was an act of self-defense on the New York subway. Daybreak Insider's Rich Thomason is in Washington this morning with more on this story. One million dollars and counting. That's how much has been contributed so far to a legal defense fund for Daniel Penny. He's a 24-year-old Marine veteran being prosecuted by the Manhattan District Attorney for subduing an unruly homeless man on a New York subway car. 
The man, who had a lengthy criminal record and was reportedly threatening passengers, died after Penny, who faces a manslaughter charge, put him in a chokehold. His lawyer says Penny acted in defense of himself and his fellow strap hangers. Rich Thomason reporting. America has passed a new record, and it's a dubious one. For the first time, total consumer debt has hit an all-time high. That's according to the Federal Reserve Bank of New York. The report shows that consumer debt rose to more than $17 trillion for the first time ever. The total represented a $148 billion increase from the previous quarter and a $1.2 trillion surge from last year. The report points to mortgage balances as the main driver for the rise in consumer debt. Auto loans also increased, while student loan debt increased moderately, and credit card debt remained flat. Meanwhile, talks over the debt ceiling continue in the nation's capital, with no deal made as of yet. Tuesday afternoon session comes as President Biden is preparing to depart for the Group of Seven summit in Japan, where the U.S. leadership will be on world stage later this week. E.J. Antoni joins the Daybreak Insider podcast. He's a research fellow at the Heritage Foundation and says that while the White House claims President Biden has a plan for the debt ceiling, he hasn't seen it. You know, this whole idea that Biden has a plan, he doesn't have a plan. There is no plan. What, what was his plan? Oh, just spend more money. Just increase the debt ceiling with no spending cuts whatsoever. That's not a plan. This is, this is the United States is like a family that has maxed out all of its credit cards. And now, instead of actually reforming the household budget, we're just going to go to the bank and say, listen, because we are us, we deserve a a limit increase on our credit cards. And the bank says, well, hold on a second. You know, you keep doing this. And I'm frankly wondering if you're still a a good uh, uh, loan at this point. You know, am I ever going to get my money back? And the family turns around and says, you know, give me a break. Of course, we're good for it. Just, you know, let us borrow more money now. You know what? That's not how it works. At some point, people say this isn't sustainable. And that's exactly where the United States is today. And Tony goes on to explain why he believes that the U.S. actually has enough money to pay its bills should the debt ceiling lapse. Yellen is going out there and yelling, no pun intended, about the debt ceiling, right? She's going out there and saying, oh, my gosh, we're going to default. It's going to be financial catastrophe. You know, all of the stock markets are going to collapse. We have to raise the debt ceiling. And she keeps saying how we don't have enough money to pay our bills. The U.S. isn't a deadbeat nation, blah, 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 blah. Okay, here are the Treasury numbers, her own department's numbers. We take in seven times as much revenue as we need in order to pay the debt. That's not an exaggeration. Seven times. So all of the Treasury bills, bonds, and notes that come due, we have plenty of revenue to pay them off and to roll them over to pay all of the interest and to get a new principal by issuing new debt, okay? That's that's not to say we're increasing the amount we're borrowing. It's just like transferring, going back to the credit cards. It's like transferring one credit card to another, transferring the balance, in other words. Taking a broader look at the economy, the Heritage Foundation fellow says that American citizens are becoming poorer under Joe Biden. 
prices are still going up. They're just not going up quite as fast as they were previously. I think you used the example one time before, Chris, that you know you still have cancer and the tumor's still growing. It's just growing a little slower than it was before. <laughs> right. So you're still becoming poorer, right? Your wages are still going up less than inflation. So you you can buy less with each month that goes by. In fact, real wages, in other words, how much your um, how much your wages have gone up compared to how much prices have gone up uh, over the last year, that measure has been negative for 25 months in a row now under Joe Biden, that is a record. In other words, never before have people had such a long stretch, even during the the breakneck inflation of the late 1970s, early 80s, people have never had such a long stretch of time when their wages failed to keep up with inflation. That says something. Annual wage growth did fall to 4.2% from 4.6% as the Fed has tried to bring down wage increases to fight inflation. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis has signed a bill into law barring the state's colleges and universities from spending taxpayer money on diversity, equity, and inclusion programs and limiting how race can be discussed in many courses. More on this from our Daybreak Insider, Jeremy House. The move comes amid conservative pushback on higher education DEI programs, which DeSantis and others say reinforce racial divisions and promote liberal orthodoxy. Supporters of the program say they are critical to serving the nation's increasingly diverse student populations. The law also forbids public colleges from offering general education courses, those that are part of a required curriculum for all college students, that, quote, distort significant historical events and teach identity politics, among other topics. Jeremy House reporting. Major League Baseball's new pitch clock is making games much faster, but making life harder on many pitchers. Daybreak Insider's sports correspondent Gethin Coolball joins us with an update on how off-season changes are now impacting the game. The pitch clock has sped up baseball as hoped, and it might be leading to more exciting endings, too. A quarter of the way through Major League Baseball's first season with the pitch timer, relief pitchers seem to be bearing most of the stress from it, with save conversions dropping to 61.4% from 67.8% at a similar point last season. The save percentage is near the bottom range of the past decade, which averaged 65.1%, MLB said Monday. The high was 70% in 2015, and the low 61% in the pandemic-shortened 2020 season. I'm Gethin Coolbaugh. And finally, the largest explosion ever seen has been captured by astrophysicists. According to reports, the explosion was 10 times brighter than any supernova and three times brighter than when a star falls into a black hole. It took place nearly 8 billion light-years away, when the universe was around 6 billion years old, which is less than half its current estimated age of 13.7 billion. Astrophysicist Philip Wiseman explains just how large this explosion was. That shock is about 100 times the size of our solar system, so it's absolutely gargantuan. If you've got something that big that's twice the temperature of our sun, that's going to glow very, very, very brightly. 
Uh, and that's what we think we've seen. Wiseman lays out how scientists are able to determine how old the explosion is by where it is located in the galaxy. That means this has happened more than half the age of the universe ago. So when you know how far away it is and we can see how bright it looks to us, that tells you how bright it must be or must have been there at at the real location. Wiseman goes on to say what he and other astrophysicists believe caused the explosion. A giant cloud of material far bigger than a a normal star that is being shredded by or partially shredded by the black hole. And that shredding is sending some kind of shock through the rest of the cloud. The team is now setting out to collect more data on the explosion by measuring different wavelengths, including x-rays, which could reveal the object's surface and temperature, and what underlying processes were taking place at the time of the explosion. Subscribe to the Daybreak Insider Podcast at Apple or Google Podcast, Spotify, or SalemPodcastNetwork.com. Get our companion Daybreak Insider newsletter each morning at DaybreakInsider.com. Ongoing coverage of breaking news and commentary at SRNNews.com and TownHall.com. Thanks for starting your day with us. I'm Mike Scott. 